0: Our first passage is from Romans, chapter 12, verses 4 to 5. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Then from 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 12 to 14. And finally, from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy."
1: Thanks for that reading, Lynn. Uh, let me add my welcome to Sam's, uh, especially if you are new or visiting. My name's Rod. I'm one of the pastors here at WBC. And as you've heard, we're we're kicking off this three-week series as we think about uh, this topic of Christian community or the church. So let me pray for us um, and ask that God will help us. And uh warm welcome to those on live stream as well uh, that you can join us tonight. But let's pray and ask that God uh, will enable us to wrestle well with his word as we study it together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, that you call us into relationship with each other as we place our trust in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the freedom to be together, uh, to hear your word, and we pray that you might challenge us afresh tonight as we consider who we are as your people. Help us to live in the light of your word, that we might encourage one another and that we might bring glory to you, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, back on June 8th, 2007 was the start of what was a very chaotic weekend weather-wise, particularly in the Newcastle region. Uh, you may remember seeing some of the footage on the news of the Pasha Balka, this huge uh, ship stuck on Nobby's Beach just off Newcastle, the few cars floating down the main street of Newcastle low-lying areas of the Hunter like Raymond Terrace and Maitland completely flooded for several days. As it turned out, our family had been on the central coast and we were driving up as the rain started to Maitland where my brother and his family live on a a farm. And, of course, we were caught up, as many were, in this natural disaster. We'd planned to just drop in on them for 24 hours, but we were there for a few days as a result. And eventually, even when we drove out, when there was a bit of a break in the weather, we were driving through half a metre of water here and there just to escape the hunter. But it was a big event. It ended up uh, costing $1.6 billion in damage. 300 millimetres fell in 24 hours. 10,000 properties were flooded. 5,000 cars were written off. It was a big event. And what we found as a family out of place from Wollongong up in Newcastle, as the power got cut off in the area we're in and all we had was the radio to listen to to keep up to date with what was happening, was that we were suddenly feeling part of this community that was all now pulling together to try and help one another out in the midst of this disaster. And so whether it was like my own brother who was collecting cattle from other people in his street to put them on high ground, or whether it was the people we could see in the distance, SES workers and electricity workers trying to put power back on in cyclonic winds and rain, um, everybody it seemed was just pulling together for a moment. Briefly, I've got to say, I felt like a Novocastrian. You know, it's it's hard to say that they're the rival steel town to the north. But you know, we were swept up in this thing, and all these people were pulling together. And it's often said, isn't it, that Australians are at their best when there is a disaster. That suddenly there's a sense of community that we don't otherwise feel. As people actually work together and pull together to make things happen, there's suddenly this stronger sense of connection. We're part of working together. We value belonging community? Well, being part of a much bigger group, being part of something more than just ourselves or our immediate family is something that we should understand clearly if we are believers. We're part of a community here of Christians, part of Wollongong Baptist Church, which uh, is a part of the church universal across the world. And so we know what it is like to be part of some greater thing. We're part of God's big picture for this world. We have to understand that the church is at the centre of God's plans for this world, that he intends to act through his people to draw more to himself. And so as we start this new three-week topical series on Christian community... We've got a lot to think about as we reflect on ourselves and who we are as a group of believers here in Wollongong. And so the big question that I want to ask tonight that we might consider is how can we value our Christian community? How can we value our Christian community? Because it's something that at times we overlook or don't appreciate fully. Well, I've got two answers to that question tonight, and the first answer is this by understanding that we belong to each other, by understanding that we actually belong to each other. So have a look again at Romans 12, verses 3 to 5. That was read for us earlier. The Apostle Paul writes, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others." So notice there in verses 4 and 5 in particular that Paul's drawing this uh, well-known analogy uh, for us between the human body and the Christian community or church. And the metaphor enables Paul to hold together the fact that um, believers are united in their trust in Jesus and yet we're a diverse bunch. We're different people with different gifts. And he explores how we're part of this uh, community of believers having different functions, but we all have a part to play. And so the sense should be in the church that we have a strong connection, that we actually belong to each other. We're not disconnected individuals but a group of believers that are a a distinct gathering. And that's not what we hear outside of church in our secular world today. We need everyone in the church to pull together. Each person is a valuable part of the whole. God has brought us together. We're part of his family in this place. We belong we're part of Christ's church in this location. And there are a lot of implications that flow from that. And Paul gives us just one in verse 3, which precedes this description of the nature of the church. You notice in verse 3 of Romans 12 that each of us should be very humble in our, our interaction with each other as a result. Paul uses the term sober judgment. That is, he's emphasizing humility here, that we're not to think of ourselves as above anyone else or more important than them, that actually as we come to the church, it's a level playing field. Again, this is not what we see in the world so often today. The gospel makes us all on the same playing field together. And he highlights this by this repetition of this uh, verb, uh, to think. It's about our thinking that is key here, that we understand who we are. And so we're not proud, we're not individualistic at church. We think of ourselves as the same as those around us. In fact, we've got concern for every member, just not for those who we know well, but we see ourselves as part of a body, see ourselves collectively, and we avoid putting ourselves on a pedestal or putting certain others on a pedestal. Paul is saying that there is equality among believers, there's no hierarchy, no inferior members. We all are what we are, by God's grace, any gifts, any wiring that you have, your is because God has blessed that with you. It's not to your credit, but God has graced you and his church with that, and we're to work together. Now, we need to recognise, as I've briefly alluded a couple of times, that it's a struggle to grasp the nature of Christian community today because we live in such an individualistic age, Now, our Australian society is very good, as many Western societies today, of just hammering into us over and over, particularly through advertising, that our greatest value in our society is that we are individual consumers. And so we're reinforced that we need to buy this product or buy that product. We're somebody that just contributes to an economy by absorbing and gathering possessions. And we're to take those products home and draw up um, you know, our bridge, as it were, into our little castle and have very little to do with those around us because it's all about us. And so we can live in a street for 20 years and hardly know the person that lives next door. Maybe we know their face or the colour of their car and we give a wave and that's about it. And yet there's this deep desire, isn't there, within all people, including Australians, that we might have community. We want connection because God has wired us as relational beings. And so instead of connecting as we might have done perhaps 50 years ago, more generally in our street, our society, we look for interest groups that we can connect with. So people find their community at their local soccer club or at their child's dance club or at the nippers where their kids are at the beach on a Sunday morning or whatever it might be, and there they have their sense of belonging. Because people are searching for community. Christians are searching for community. But unfortunately, when you talk about the church and its community, people are often far less excited than they are about talking about their footy team or their local RSL club. Now, that can occasionally be because somebody has had a negative experience in church and for them it's hard to think positively at times in the future But when the church is acting as the Bible actually describes, it's a community that is second to none. It's what God calls us to be about as believers, that it should be prioritised in our lives. And I think that can be missed, uh, not just because of others letting us down, um, but because we don't actually understand what the church community is supposed to be, that it's about belonging to a spiritual family, rather than just being a consumer who judges whether my needs are being met by this particular group. And so often we've been trained by our society to think about church, to look at it through the lens of a consumer. What are they offering me? What programs do they have for my children? What am I getting out of this church? Do they sing the right songs for me? Whatever it might be. In his article, From Lord to Label, How Consumerism Undermines Our Faith, Sky Juthani writes, When we approach Christianity as consumers rather than seeing it as a comprehensive way of life, an interpretive set of beliefs and values, well, then Christianity becomes just one more brand we consume to express our identity – And as a result, choosing a church today isn't merely about finding a community to learn and live out my Christian faith. For many, it's about church shopping to find the congregation that best expresses my identity. And this drives Christian leaders and churches to differentiate their church by providing more of the features that people want. After all, in a consumer culture, the customer, not Christ, is king. I think he's under something. I think this is a challenge for Christ's church today, isn't it? Instead of asking questions like, what are they offering me? We need to see ourselves as belonging to a family of believers who we are to serve, who we are to spend our lives with. And once we start seeing it in that way, then it ceases to be a snack machine with products for us and rather it becomes our spiritual family that we do life with. Now there's Paul in Romans 12. but Look at the Apostle Peter because I think he elevates this discussion about understanding who we are as a church in 1 Peter 2 verses 9 and 10. Have a look at the identity description he's got for believers here, this new family that we're a part of. Peter says, But you are are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, if a person accepts Jesus and is included in the church by faith, Well, they are part of a community of believers who have an amazing identity. Notice these four terms that he uses here to talk about the status of Christians in verse 9. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I mean, these four name tags, if you like are amazingly surprising because he has lifted them from the Old Testament. These were terms that Moses applied to the old covenant relationship between God and the nation of Israel. And so in Exodus 19, Moses uses these words. But here Peter lifts them and says, no, they are true now of the new covenant church, God's people today who have placed their trust in Christ. And so Christians, you see, form God's new covenant people. The church is a chosen people or race, not by physical descent like the Israelites, but simply by faith. Believers are a holy nation but with a difference. We're not uh, defined by physical boundaries, political boundaries as Israel were. Rather, Christians are found in every nation of the world and as God's special possession where His treasured people which is incredible because he brings together both Gentile and Jew, what the Jew thought was impossible under the old covenant, God has now done in Christ, bringing people from every nation. As you look all around you tonight, there's 20, 30 different nationalities represented. I think there's 40 nationalities across our church here at WBC. And we would not be together if it were not for Christ and our common faith in him drawing us to this place. And such a group by nature has to gather together we haven't been saved as an individual to set alone. We've been brought into a family. God has placed you here. You're not here by accident tonight. You need those around you, and they need you. This is what it's like to be family. And what is the purpose of this new family that you are now a part of if you've placed your trust in Jesus? Well, have a look at verse 9 here of 1 Peter 2. Peter says that we exist together to declare the praises of God. This is corporate language here. He's saying we do this collectively. You can't do this by yourself. Yes, we're all to declare God's praises as we have opportunity throughout our week, but there is something about us doing that together as God's people. And the character that is to be praised is literally the excellencies of God. It's his grace, if you like, his mercy, his love shown to us. And we who were sinners, Peter says, who were not shown mercy in the past, who were not a people, have now been shown that and brought together. And we just can't help but tell people about what God has done for us in Christ and we do that as a people together, being saved to operate in unison, a covenant people. And so if we fail to understand our corporate identity now in the church, then we have failed to understand a primary implication of the gospel. Jesus didn't save you so that you might sit alone. He saved you as part of a family. He's gathered you together with others for your good and for theirs. Let me push this first point one step further. I want to ask you tonight, do you have that sense of belonging? If this is your home church, do you have that sense of belonging here at WBC? Do you understand what God has made you part of? Are you just so desirous of getting together with God's people because you realise the priority that God makes that in his world? A few years ago, I had the privilege uh, of travelling to Bangladesh uh, with a short-term mission team from our church, and we spent a couple of weeks uh, visiting a whole bunch of churches, uh, from larger ones in the capital city of Dhaka to really small ones. And one that really sticks in my mind ten years later is this one picture that we travelled south several hours to get to a region called Gopalgunj. And here we were on the bank of a river, it wasn't even a Sunday, and they had called together a meeting because we were coming to visit them. And these people met in this tin shed, this little parcel of land they had on the river which would flood if the river ro- reached any heights. You could squeeze about 40 people maximum. It basically had a dirt floor. We were there in the middle of the winter and it was hot as anything in this tin shed. <laughs> And these people came out to a tin building with red crosses emblazoned down the other side of it so that no one could miss it was the Christian church. And this is in a Muslim country where 96% of the population are against you. And they own their faith in Jesus and they would come out at any point because they prioritise, they see God's people are so special that they'll be there in a moment. And as I got to share a short talk about Jesus calming the storm, I felt pretty humbled. I thought when I get back to Australia, I need to value Christ's church more. Look at these people. Coming to a shed and dirt floor with only about 30 kids could fit inside and about 10 adults or another 30 adults outside and they are there because they want to be with God's people. It is number one. And it comes with a cost there. Or well, is that how you feel about church? Is that the strong sense of community that you have, of wanting to be with your brothers and sisters who you are obligated to, who Christ has brought you into relationship with? Please don't see yourself as an island if you're a believer here tonight. You're not. God's word says you're not, and you can't do it anyway. You need them so that you might grow and be spurred on in your faith. Don't come just for your own benefit, but for their benefit too, because our strength and our response together to God in his word is the thing that will push us on to, re- to live in the light of his word rightly as he calls us to. Come together as God's people by understanding who you are in Jesus, who you belong to as his gathering. Well, that brings me to a second answer, second answer to our question of how we're to value Christian community. Not only do we need to understand what we're a part of, but secondly, we need to honour that. We need to honour that we belong to each other. I mean, what will that look like? If I understand those truths, how will that affect how I respond to the people around me? Well, have a look at 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 12 and verses 24 to 26. Again, the Apostle Paul writing says, Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 24, but God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. In the context of the church at Corinth, the phrase giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, He's talking about the varying social standings that existed within the church and the great danger that there was that the wealthy people would look down on the poor. There was everything from those who were wealthy landowners to those who were slaves, and yet the gospel made them on a level playing field. They were brothers and sisters of equal value before God and should be in each other's eyes, and Paul is saying that's how it should look as you gather on a Sunday or any other time. There was to be equal concern for everyone regardless And he had a similar argument earlier in the chapter about spiritual gifts as well. It doesn't matter what part the person plays within the life of the church, that doesn't elevate them or put them on some pedestal different to anybody else. There is no us and them in God's people. Rather, we're united, we care for all. But notice in verse 26, Paul says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, Every part rejoices with it. There's a huge assumption that underlines that sentence. I know if that's hitting you already. If you're to be aware of the joys and sorrows of each other, the inference is that you're going to spend time with those people regularly. How otherwise would you know of them? How can I honour my brother or sister? when they have some great joy in their life, perhaps the birth of a baby, if I don't know that they've even had a child? How can I celebrate with them if they have a family member that's come to faith that they've been praying for for a decade if I have no clue that that's happened within their life? On the flip side, how can I encourage them? How can I pray for them? How can I be sorrowful with them when I hear about some great suffering in their family or their friend or some health issue that they're facing? or the death of a loved one, if I'm ignorant of those things, doesn't this passage assume that I must be enmeshed, involved in their lives to such a level, willing to share, be vulnerable with them, that I know these things, that I would be engaging with them daily so that I would be up with this, that I'm walking with them through all the ups and downs of life and they with me. We have to be available for each other. We have to be vulnerable enough to share our needs. We need to honour the fact that we belong to each other by prioritising getting together, and not just on a Sunday, but in our home group throughout the week as we interact one-on-one, whatever it might be. Now, it goes without saying, uh, this last couple of years has been a difficult couple of years. worldwide pandemic has had a huge impact on all of our lives, whether at work or here at church. And so it's been hard to have that regular interaction. It's been severely hampered by this period. We haven't had the freedoms that we just took for granted prior to that. But even now that we have renewed freedoms, if you like, again, there's still this sort of air of caution hanging over our society because, well, Omicron's here and there's still a lot of cases and the curve is starting to turn and so on, but, you know, there's that fear, anxiety that sits in the background all the time. And for some people, that's a legitimate and ongoing concern. No doubt it will be for many months because they're immunosuppressed or they're elderly or they've got serious health conditions right now. But I want to say to you tonight that for a lot of us, that's not the camp that we sit in. For some of us, we could be back regularly And you might say, well, I'm here tonight, aren't we, preaching to the choir if we're talking about these things? Well, yes, but you may not be as you were prior to COVID. Perhaps you've found it hard. You've been discombobulated by these last couple of years, and now what was a weekly rhythm for you is kind of, well, I'll get there every three or four weeks or I don't know if I'll make it to my home group this year or whatever it might be that's churning around in our minds. We've got out of the habit of prioritising, gathering with God's people because it's been difficult. We've been online for periods. But the danger in all of that is that we drift. We get used to the convenience of online. We find ourselves disconnected from people. We've now got to re-engage and we don't know if we want to make that effort again. It seems like starting up is all the harder once more. If you're feeling any of those things, then you need to recognise those dangers and actually respond to them, not just allow that just to sit there. We need to be proactive. We want to, for our own sake and for the sake of our brothers and sisters, respond, re-engage so that we might grow. In their book, Rediscover Church, why the body of Christ is essential, Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman uh, involved in the United States in different ways, as writers and authors and elders in churches, said the following. Praise God that we can download biblical truths virtually. But let's also praise God that the Christian life is more than just an information transfer When church is only online, we can't feel, we can't experience, we can't witness those truths becoming enfleshed in the family of God, which both fortifies our faith and creates cords of love between our brothers and sisters. Virtual church is an oxymoron. The Christian life and the church life cannot ultimately be downloaded. It must be watched, heard, stepped into, followed, experienced. Yes, gathering with the church can be inconvenient, but so is love. Yes, relationships can be messy. So is love. Well, I think they're expressing something of our age of this last couple of years. And as we perhaps struggle with that ourselves and getting back into a rhythm of meeting with God's people, I guess I want to urge you to make it a priority this year. I'm not a big person for New Year's resolutions. Uh, it's, maybe it's because I give up on them in a few days. Uh, perhaps that's you. But that's, this is the kind of commitment that we can make with our friends or with our family and say, hold me accountable to this. I know for my good and for the good of the body of Christ that I'm a part of that I need to be re-engaging. I need to be giving my all and be back into things this year. Yes, there are going to be distractions from that. Perhaps there's going to be unknowns ahead. But I am committed to connecting with God's people because that is the family that He has placed me in and I need them. And that's why the Christian faith is not personal, it's not a private faith that I work out by myself in my lounge room, disconnected from the body. I'm not going to last long if that's the route I go down. While each of us is responsible absolutely to respond to God's grace in our own life, nobody else can make a decision to follow Jesus for me. But I'm not an individual. I am part of a community. I am saved into a body, and I'm to express and give and serve and encourage and spur on and cry with and Laugh with those that God has placed me amongst because that is what he calls me to. That's who I am. This is my community. This is where I'll spiritually grow. This is where I'll respond with others. I hope you've seen tonight that our sense of community as a believer should be strong because we actually belong to each other. That's what Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 is telling you even if you've never recognised that you belong to the people sitting around you. We're not disconnected. We've been drawn together by God. We're his family, God's family in this place. And we need to live up to what we already are in Christ. If you've been a Christian for even five minutes, I'm not calling you to anything new tonight. What I'm asking you to do is to live up to what you already know to be true to who you are in Christ, to not act independently any longer, but to act independent, interdependently. And we need to express that, and that's going to look different perhaps in our different weeks, in our different schedules, but let's commit to that. Commit to that this week, this month, this year ahead. Let's respond in a way that honors God, that honors each other. Will you pray with me? Let's pray.